Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. I am here today with Dr. Stephen Ross, and he is the co-founder of the World Research Foundation, a global source of health information for illnesses and therapies from around the world. The library holds a collection of over 30,000 volumes of information on all forms of healing therapies, modalities that date back to 1492. He shares his wisdom, knowledge, and direct experience with many of these therapies with people all over the world on his YouTube channel and other sources, events, talks, you name it, as well as his spiritual teachings, which we will go into. I also should mention that he is a important link in the history of Rife technology, being the holder at one point of the number three original microscope, the Rife microscope, which was given to him back in 1984, as well as stacks of valuable information regarding this history and technology. I am so thrilled to have you. Steve, thanks for being here. Diane, thank you very much for having me here. Yes. Thank you. So let's just jump in to some of these incredible um, experiences that led you to first and foremost creating this extraordinary library of information, of research that goes back to fifth, sixth century, if I'm correct. Is that yes. right? Uh-huh. And you share a story in one of your videos on your YouTube channel, which I found really touching and extraordinary. Um, just how spirit leads us. And if we are open, the information is available to us. And you were open while you were, uh, I believe, an athlete uh, at university and uh, you had a knee injury. And uh, this is very um, personal to me because I'm someone who is a gymnast and I've had eight knee surgeries. And I certainly have met my quota for knee surgeries I believe in this lifetime, <laughs> but you had a knee injury. And of course you went and got a, a, a doctor's uh, do- one doctor and then another doctor's opinion. And they said, of course, you're going to need surgery. And lo and behold, one day you're sitting down and there is a popular mechanics magazine right next to you. You open it up and you find this alternative therapy or technology from Russia. They say it's holistic garbage you give it a shot and you end up thriving and being an incredible athlete and winning, uh, I believe, uh, championships or awards at some point. Well, I, it was interesting because the professional I was sent to was the sports position for the LA Rams, Dodgers and Lakers mm. and Dr. Robert Curlin, very famous. Uh, the second opinion came from Ducky Drake over at UCLA and at that time, this is so long ago, Kareem Jabbar, the basketball player, was playing for John Wooden. So this kind of dates me. But um, they both said I'd have to have surgery. 
Now, it was interesting because the technique I used, um, I, I missed only four weeks of training, and that year I placed fifth in the nationals for my track and field events. I actually went to Cal State Northridge, an area university close to where you are. Mm-hmm. It planted a seed for me. Why was it these experts, not only did they know, not know about it, but they said it was holistic garbage. What other things exist in this world that we are not being told about in the United States? And what starts as an interest, Diane, ends up to be a life's work because that sent me on a course all over the world. And I started discovering that there are a lot of things that we're just not informed of here, especially if they're um, not a pharmaceutical or surgery or drugs. So that set the course for me from the health standpoint. But in 1975, I met a Cherokee Indian in North Hollywood, California, not known as a spiritual Mecca. And he told me all my future guidance would come in my dreams. And as a result, I have these two rivers flowing, one with the health and the physical, and the other was the entire spiritual area because I've had adventures and experiences based on my dreams that have guided me all over the world. So both of those have been my passion in this lifetime. I would love to go into that and your dreams. You have some extraordinary stories around that, of course, as well. Before we go into that, just curious, it begs the question, what was the technique that you did for your knee? It was very, very simplistic. In in fact, uh, back in my days, there was a pitcher played for the Dodgers named Sandy Koufax. And Sandy Koufax was one of the first pitchers after his starts to ice his elbow up. So this technique was icing and thawing. And being an 18-year-old, I spent basically 20 hours a day icing that knee, thawing it out, icing that knee, thawing it out. But there's one other caveat here. I also, during all that time, visualize myself running 100 yards and breasting the tape, running 100 yards. Now, back in the 60s, that wasn't, the visualization wasn't the hot topic. And I was doing it. So here one wonders, was it the expansion and contraction of the capillaries? Was it my positive thinking in my mind of winning whatever it was I did that religiously, and it it worked. And again, Dr. Kerlin, being a sports physician, he was very well aware of the body. And Ducky Drake, Drake Stadium is named at UCLA after him. Both of them said, you either have surgery or you're not going to compete again. Mm. Wow. It was very simplistic, heat and cold, heat and cold, heat and cold. 
But I think the key when you're talking is what I'm hearing is you are very religious about it. You are on it and you're consistent. I think of BKS Iyengar in yoga when he says transformation is sustained change. Yes. So it's like repetition, repetition, repetition. Just do it. It's like a it's like a vision board. People will say, "Oh, I made a vision board. I went to a vision board party, but you know, I didn't, it doesn't work. It's just garbage." Well, do you even work your vision board, or do you just I, make it and then just put it up and kind of glance at it, or do you emote on it? <laughs> do you give it energy? Do you just uh, send it energy? Do you you know what I'm right. saying? So oh, a- absolutely. To me. Uh, we'll probably get into it a little bit. Uh, I call it an integrity within the self. The integrity meaning that we follow through our actions with what we conceive in our mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what made philosophers great in the old days. They they weren't just a, a, a name or a title. Today, people go, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a this, I'm a that. Just throwing out the name. In ancient times, the philosophers lived completely what they espoused. And that is what I'm calling an integrity within the self. If anybody sticks, I'm a very firm believer with thousands of books here. There is not one way, one technique to reach higher enlightenment. Perhaps it is exactly, Diane, what you said. It is about consistency. So if you're consistent with anything, I believe you're going to get to the promised land because your intent is to make it to a final end. Whatever goal you've taken, you have already placed in your mentals, this is where I'm going to arrive. And because of that, you will arrive. Mm -hmm. I can tell you a very interesting story having to do with Um, I read about an individual named Charles Kellogg, who in the 1920s was a naturalist, and he could uh, imitate any bird in nature. But he also had another gift. With his voice, he could control fire. He could make it rise, make it fall, and, and put a flame completely out with a particular sound. Well, I thought that was fascinating. And then I came across the Rafay school of Sufis who also could put themselves in fire. And I met a Sufi who could control fire. And there was a particular sound associated with that ability to control fire. A day later, I ended up meeting a Laplander from Finland who was also able to control fire. But I'm sharing this story for a simple reason. All three of the sounds were completely different. Mm. In our physical reality, that's not going to happen. The vibration should be, this is the area that would relate with the fire. So I'm sharing this because, is it the frequency, Diane, or is it the belief? Mm. They knew that they could do it. They were, they were brought up, this is going to work. So I'm a very firm believer that it's our belief systems that really guide us, not so much the techniques. I agree with that wholeheartedly. You have a great quote I thought I'd just throw in what I love. 
you say our thought streams initiate the currents that will run in our life. And it's like, yeah, it, we are that river. We're the, we're the ocean. Yes. But we have to first believe that we're the ocean, that we are the holder of all that energy or resource or wisdom or light or capacity. Right. And, and, and you're bridging on another word I would like to talk, and that is trust. Mm-hmm. No matter where I go, no matter who I deal with, I always ask the people, do you trust yourself? And the answer is they will trust someone with a a title. They will trust somebody on a podium. They will trust somebody who's written a book. Why do we not trust ourselves? Because that is the biggest key. You're already hinting at it. We already have all knowledge and wisdom inside Nobody is wiser than us. They may be more aware at the moment you cross paths, but they don't have any more access to all wisdom. It's a matter of trust. Can we trust ourselves? That's a perfect segue into talking about you trusting the information that you receive in your dream state. Because (laughs) Most people, until we just get in the habit of actually acting on the information, most people say, oh, that's just ridiculous. Or they'll forget about it, right? And then they won't remember what the information was that they could have acted upon that could have been groundbreaking, could have been transformative, changed their life forever and others. So you've had a lot of guidance over the years from your spirit guides, from your dreams, And um, particularly, you talk about when you were receiving some information in your dreams, you received specific information, like you'd go to a library and they'd say, go and find this book. It's going to be behind this book. And lo and behold, it's there. Even the story uh, that you tell about very specific phone numbers. Yes. I'd love for you to go into that. It's like that is really specific. You get a phone number and you not only get the information, you call it. And then when you call it, it leads you to one of the holders of the Rife microscope, which led you to be one of the sort of arbitrators of that device and took you down a whole other road. of Right. So I'd love for you to go into that because that's super powerful. We're all connected to this um, spiritual telephone, if you will. And this information is available if you just uh, open to it. It's a direct conduit. Nobody gives us uh, the ability to dream. We, We all have this conduit to a direct source. And when I met this Native American in North Hollywood, and he told me all my future guidance would come in dreams, I remember laughing. And in fact, I was so excited to have a dream that I went one week without sleeping because oh I kept thinking, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to have this dream and it's going to be earth shattering. Well, after a week, I was so tired. I finally got to the state where I could remember. And, and basically the dream was this. I saw a picture book of animals and I heard a voice say, 
what kind of animal is Steve? And a finger points to a picture in the book. Now, before I tell you the picture, I recognize the voice as a former teammate of mine who we played on a six-man volleyball team three years before. And I thought everything was good. We're good friends. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I decided to call. I call up Bob and I said, hello, Bob, is there anything bothering you? He goes, no. I said, is there, second time, is there anything bothering you about me? No. Diana asked four times until he said, what's your problem? Are you sick? What, why are you asking me? I don't know why I was only 24. I said, I want to be a better person. And then he says, there is something that's been bothering me. My heart was beating, and I said, what? He said, do you remember what you did to our other teammate, Harold? And I said, no, I really don't. He said, Steve, everybody looked up to you. You were the All-American. And any time that Harold made a mistake, you didn't say anything, but you just glared at him. Now, Bob continues, and he says, Harold and I would go out for pizza, and he would throw up because he couldn't win your approval. And I thought you were a real hog. Mm. The picture book, it was a hog. Oh, my gosh. I, I sat. I, I became overwhelmed. I teared up. And I thought, this is, that was my dream. There was never a hint. Now, after that, I had six dreams a night for three months on every phase of my personality, likes, dislikes. And then came phone numbers, just phone numbers. And I would have a legal pad. Um, I would never open my eyes. And I would have six dreams a night, never opening my eyes, writing on a pad, going to sleep, writing and writing. When I got the numbers, I have to admit, I was a little overwhelmed. What? So, Here's how clever I go. I'm going to call and see if Jim's there. Hello, can I speak with Jim? Hi, Steve. We're waiting for you. Oh, my gosh. Now, you can see in the background the materials. This is how part of this library was acquired. So if you and I met at a party and I was telling you this story, you would go, I wonder. But when people are here and they see the holdings, they have come through <clears throat> the dreams, the phone numbers. I had a reoccurring dream of being in a library and there's a line of people. And when I get to the front, there's a man at a podium looking down going, we would now like you to study. And they would give a name that I never heard of. And then I would proceed to spend time and gather everything I could find in the world on that particular person or technique. And so the dreams have led me all over the world. Um, I receive less because I learned to listen directly during the day, but we have a direct conduit. I just gave a dream workshop last uh, Thursday and I tried to impress upon people. We are not utilizing the, the dream mechanism as we can because people will write a dream down and it's what you said earlier. Maybe they spend time, maybe they don't. 
I have 46 years of dreams recorded, and I noticed that they come in topics, they come in subjects, they, they're prophecy, they're health-oriented. We have the greatest gift from the creator, Diane, a direct conduit. Now, I read the National Enquirer about 40 years ago, and it said, if you want dreams about skiing, flood your mind, read books on skiing, think about skiing. Well, yes, this mechanism will do that. But what if there's more? What if we have this direct link to our higher self, to the, that God self within, to other spiritual entities? These are the dreams. I don't want people to say, you know, he's different. Um, it, it worked for him. My dreamers have told me it works for everybody. And one last thing, after I would have the dream, I would still not open my eyes. I would wait and I would get an interpretation given to me of the dream. I've never heard of anybody ever mentioned that before. You go to a dream analyst, you go, you read a book and no, we have the dream interpretation right there. Mm. You, can, you can't tell I'm passionate, can you? Oh, it's great. And it's right on the money because you're just, um, you're, you're, you're illustrating just the truth that we are this walking um, powerhouse of energy, of, um, of dominion, yeah. of divinity, yes. of connection. And if you think otherwise, um, you're just living in an illusion. It's true. And, and you brought to mind a little yogic story about a businessman who was very much into business. And one night he had something shake him up and he realized maybe there's more. So he said to a friend, I, I want to know my purpose in life and, and the reason for the universe. And the person says to him, oh, you need to go to the metaphysical bookstore. So the man goes and he says, I want to know the purpose of life. And they said, oh, you need to go to Tibet and the Himalayas. So the man immediately flew over there, started to climb, and he wasn't dressed properly, and he collapsed in the snow. Well, the next thing he knows, the yogis are waking him up, they're warming him up, and they said, what are you doing here? I have come to find the secrets of the universe. Do you have the answer for the purpose of life? No, we don't. What? Well, where is the answer? Where did you come from? Oh, I came from New York. That's where the answer is. The answer is always within the person, whether they came from New York or Boston or Los Angeles. The answer is always within us. Mm -hmm. I always exaggerate that. I talk about this a lot, how in my work doing healing work, I find it really necessary to remind people when we start that I'm not a healer. You might define it as such because it's like a reference point, but you're the one who is doing the healing. I'm just 
the mirror or the facilitator or maybe the conduit, um, but or or the tuning fork, literally and figuratively. But you are the one who's healing because you're the one who's deciding to connect to your innate. And I'm just reminding you that you have this innate and I'm just shining a light on the fact, on the fact that you have all the answers and the ability to create your own pharmacopoeia inside of you that will create the resonance that you really solically seek. You are truly truly in tune and i know your audience appreciates you because you're speaking such a truism the great healers are the ones who can produce the best environment to heal the person always heals themselves um through the dreams i was told and i i have done healing work all over the world for many many years and what i was told was steve you are not the source. Mm-hmm. You illuminate the pathway for others. People's own healer will heal them. The best healers create that total healing environment. It was very interesting reading the Bible. He could do no major healing in his own hometown. Well, if some, if it's just the person, they would be able to heal everybody all the time. It, it isn't that. It is the image, it is the environment that's, that's created. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to stop here, even though I'm being interviewed, and compliment you, because you carrying that understanding means that the drop and the pond and the ripples you put out, people will understand that fact. There's too many people out there with big egos going, I, I do the healing. I'm the one who heals the people. I'm the one who does this. Um, kudos to you. (laughs) And good luck to you, because if we want to take it deeper, and I really hope this comes out in a a loving way, I don't mean this at all as, you know, some egoic gesture, but from at least my belief system, if I put that on as my hat, that I'm doing all the work and I'm the healer, well, you're also setting yourself up to take on a lot of karma from another person. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh, you're the one that's doing it, not spirit? Oh, okay. Okay, big shot. Well, you go for it. You uh, you can take it on. You can carry all the, the garbage uh, from this circus and, uh, you know, enjoy it. <laughs> See how that's working for you. Right. And you wonder why, quote unquote, healers get sick all the time. Right. Exactly. So... There you go. I might just add, as you were talking, you were talking about the setting up the uh, the environment, and it made me think of really also the inner environment is necessary to heal because there are people that claim or say that they want to be healed, but they really don't want to be healed, or they're just not ready to be healed yet. They'll tip their toes in the water, and not as a judgment, it's just kind of just recognizing that that's where they're at consciously right now. They're dipping their toes in the water of this possibility of what could be, but the inner environment is not there yet where they really want to surrender to the possibility that something could um, come in and heal them. (laughs) And some people need to have what they're carrying because 
it is an impetus. It is um, something that is that is leading them in their particular experiential pathway. I never. I, I believe there really is no right or wrong. Whatever choice somebody makes, that's going to lead to a whole pathway of experiences based on what that is. Um, the people who are not ready are not ready. Um, without being mean, sometimes I've been with people and I will tell them, apparently you're not hurting enough because I am sharing things that will help you. <laughs> and you're kind of fighting against every single thing you're being told. Um, you you may not be hurting. No, Steve, I, I am. I, I just look and I go, um, when you're ready, you will find that things will start coming into place. But some people really believe they need to have. Sometimes it's an excuse, Diane. Uh, because I'm this, I, I have this problem. I, I can't go here. I, I can't mix with people. I, I There's always an excuse. But we don't judge them. They, they need that for whatever reason. And when they are ready, um, things will change. And it can change in a nanosecond. That's right. Agreed. Let's shift gears a bit and go into Rife technology. And some people listening here may be familiar with the term or the technology and the person, Royal Raymond Rife. And some people may have no idea, but um, as we mentioned before we started this, I'm incredibly passionate for personal reasons and just working with people with frequency. I believe, I believe through my experience that um, I've been a witness to the power of frequency. And I might add, just as I'm talking, that meditation is a form of frequency. Yes. It doesn't have to be a tuning fork or a hand or Reiki or um, rife. But I would love if you could go into your connection with, first and foremost, what led you to the microscope, which is an incredible story, and how this work, how this technology, as the doctors in the 1930s declared, that it would be the end of disease. And how did that sort of just fade away, which is right. a whole other story in and of itself? I had a dream. And um, the dream came during a time I was gathering information on a person using color therapy named Dinsha Gadiali and a spectrochrome system, which is an incredible technique. And I heard there was a reference, or I read there was a reference in a book which was long out of print. Well, I had a dream to go to a bookstore called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore, which at one time existed and was very famous in the Los Feliz area. And to go to a bookcase, reach behind all the books. But it didn't tell me, the dream didn't say what I would find, but I couldn't wait to go to the Bodhi Tree. I reach behind and I pull out New Light on Therapeutic Energies by Mark Gallard out of print. And I open it up and I go, oh, wow, here is information on Dinshaw, Gadiali, and Color. So I bought the book. I take it home. Three chapters beyond is 
the story of Royal Raymond Rife and the Universal Rife Microscope. And I'm reading this and I'm going, oh my gosh, I've, I've never heard of this. A microscope 10 times more powerful than what they were using today and was built in 1933 and was mentioning something about destroying viruses and bacteria using frequency. Well, I contacted a friend of mine, Dr. Harry Luss, who was um, a physician and a board member of Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. Harry was 86 years old. Hey, Harry, have you ever heard of the Rife microscope? Yes, Steve. In fact, when I was a young man, I'm going, whoa, <laughs> this, this was 1980. You, if you're a young man is a long time ago. He said, we heard rumors about this microscope. And here's Harry. I met an old geezer named John Crane who claimed he had the Rife microscope. I said, Harry, uh, can I get in touch with this man? Steve, um, I don't know where the information is. I've moved five or six times in the last 15 years. The next morning, I get a call. It's Harry. He's going, Steve. I go, Harry, what's the matter? Steve, I got out of bed and I stepped on the carpet and there was a piece of paper. It was the phone number and name of this man who had the microscope. Oh, wow. So I said, Harry, maybe it was, maybe it was there all the time. He goes, no, Steve. It was not there all the time. He said, I've moved. So I said, Harry, give me the number. He said, Steve, I tried to call many years ago. I never got through. Well, I called the number, get through right away to this man named John Crane. What do you want? I said, well, I, I have this foundation, this organization. I, I'd like to know uh, more about this microscope. Maybe, do you have it? Could I see it? Yes. Come down to San Diego three days from now. So I call back Harry and Harry says, Steve, I have to go with you. It's only fair I gave you the number. Okay, Harry, the day we're supposed to go, Harry at 84 was still delivering babies. Wow. And he goes, I can't go. So I called John Crane, can I come two days later? Two days later, Harry's delivering another baby. I said, Harry, I love you, I'm going. I go to San Diego, I meet this John Crane and uh, spend time with him. He befriended Rife, who had become a drunk in the 1960s, early 1970s, because of the story of what happened. And um, John showed me the microscope. To make it a little more thrilling, because I guess we're kind of talking heads here, when I showed up in San Diego, John's house was kind of, the curtains were drawn, it was boarded up, and I go, oh boy. So I knock on the door, and there's, he, he's creaking. Who is it? I said, Steve Ross, we spoke. Are you with the FDA? Are you with the AMA? Are you with the FBI? He, he grilled me. You have to tell me if you are. Now, I felt, felt kind of funny, because actually, our moniker for world research is WRF. But I thought if I told him it's a three-letter word, he'd blow me out. Anyway, I get into his house, and it's covered with newspaper. 
the dust is all over the place. And he sits me down on a sofa. I sit down, the dust is wafting off. It's all over the place. And then he says to me, can I get you a glass of water? I look at the glass. It looked like an experiment. There was, anyway, I did not take the water. And after about 40 minutes, he says, you want to see it, don't you? I said, yes, I do. And he brings me into a room. And there is the Rife microscope, the one and only Rife microscope. And one year later, he ended up giving it to me for two years. And I'll never forget driving back to LA in a station wagon, looking at the microscope is just sitting. People have to know how rare, how a part of history, how incredible this device was. And that is how we ended up having it. Wow. Now, I've talked a long time. I mean, I could give a little bit of, of what it meant and what they were able to do, but I don't want to just be endlessly. T- oh, no, you, it, it, you're, it's fine. And what you're sharing is so valuable. So let's go into that because okay. some people may not understand the profundity of the Rife technology or the microscope and what he was able to identify and how it tied into the eradication of these viruses um, and all of it. Well, Rife was actually a chauffeur for a man named Timken in San Diego who built horseless carriages. And Rife told Timken, I think I can build a microscope that is far superior to what exists. So Temkin ended up building um, a laboratory for Rife, which would be the equivalent of a million dollars back in the 1920s. Rife develops a microscope which far surpassed all theoretical limitations of a light source microscope. As an example, They still use microscopes to magnify 1,500, where you can look at a specimen live. And the Rife microscope did 60,000 magnification. And you can look at specimens live. But here was the caveat. Any virus or bacteria that was viewed glowed in its own unique color. Mm-hmm. Color is a rate of vibration. So when they looked at a virus associated with whatever it happened to be, uh, or uh, bacteria with um, cancer, with any of the diseases and illnesses, it would glow in a color. Well, the color for cancer was a ruby red color. So Rife and the people working with him said, Wow, tuberculosis is an emerald green. This is a ruby red. What happens when a singer sings and hits a note? They can break glass because of the resonant frequency of their voice and the glass. So they thought, wow, if this color is associated with an actual cancer virus, what if we beam the frequency of that life force color back at the specimen. So they got a frequency generator, got into the red spectrum, moved the dial, and when they hit the right frequency, as they looked through the microscope, the color disappeared. 
the life frequency was destroyed. They found the exact frequency for 60 diseases and illnesses. Now, how, do, how can we test it out? They took a woman's breast cancer tumor and they cut it in half. The first half, they injected 100 rats and all of the rats developed cancer. Then they took the frequency that they found, beamed it at the rats, and all 100, the cancer was destroyed. Now they had the other half of the tumor and they beamed it with the frequency. Then they injected that into 100 rats and none of the rats got cancer. They proved that they had the exact frequency to destroy the virus of cancer. And they did clinical trials at the Mary Ellen Scripps Ranch in La Jolla, California. They took 16 terminal patients, 14 with cancer, and within 30 days, they were all clinically cured. Now, this should be the greatest discovery in the history of the world. You have frequency. Who would not like frequency in medicine? The pharmaceutical industry, chemicals. And so the reason I'm able to tell you this story is I not only have had the microscope, we have Rife's original logbooks. We have 500 personal letters of all of these doctors from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. So I am not telling you stories from someone's website or someone's book. These are the actual letters of all these people. They started getting pressure put on them because they were working in the area of frequency. And I mean, this is normally something I would talk about for two hours. So I don't, it, it, needless to say, this was techniques that weren't going to be accepted by some of the powers that be. Now, I used to lecture when I was young on the politics of medicine. I prefer to stay in the positive human potential. Let's just say these doctors felt threatened. And so there was no internet in the 20s and 30s. And so things could disappear and be glossed over much easier. My gosh, today something comes out, 100 million people, billion people know about it, but not then. And reading the letters, I, I have to tell you, I really cried because these men, their letters were not letters for Lifetime Network movie. They were at the actual time. They knew what they had. They were great. Re the researchers were E.C. Rosenau of the Mayo Clinic, John Hopkins, all the most prestigious institutes. So these people didn't fall off the turnip truck. Didn't the, yeah, didn't like President Roosevelt even write a letter of thanks and gratitude to Rife, the president? Yes, the, yes there, there was a letter and... Uh, Rife offered services of his microscope to J. Edgar Hoover mm. and the FBI because it was 10 times more powerful than what they were using at the FBI for research. He broke, he surpassed all the theoretical limitations uh, with magnification. That is why when I talk about Rife, I get into surpassing limitations. He did not accept 
what science said was the limit. Therefore, Diane, why should we accept the limitations in any area? 100%. Well, and not to um, insult modern medicine, we could, as you say, go the negative route and a lot of reasons to do so in the limitation of it. But the truth is, it is, as they say, a practice. It's a, I practice medicine. Right, right. So there are no definitives. There are, you know, there's not this box and like my story of healing my thyroid. Yes. Head of endocrinology at a major hospital. Couldn't quite figure out how I healed my thyroid. And little does she know, I did it with frequency. And that's a whole other story. Question for you. The 60,000... Uh, amplification of yes. the microscope. Does that still exist or do we not have that? We do not have that. But I'm going to interject this just to tweak your curiosity. Okay. There was another microscope called a nemoscope. Okay. N-E-M-E-S-C-O-P-E. It was 10 times greater to 50 times greater than the Rife microscope. It saw during, it saw all the way down to atoms. So not only, even though now they're starting to breach, the nemoscope and the Rife microscope far surpass what is around today. The nemoscope existed in 1950, the Rife Universal in 1933, and no, Diane. We do not have those technologies present. So you had the microscope for two years. Correct. What happened after those two years? Was it taken from you? Uh, the, the way the story is, I, uh, John Crane had me sign a letter saying, if I got the microscope in complete operating condition, I could own half of it after two years, but there were so many parts missing, that was impossible. Right before the end of the two years, a man named Barry Lyons, who wrote a book called The Cancer Cure That Worked, which a lot of people know, contacted me and said, people are dying, Steve, uh, uh, something has to be done. I said, look, Barry, um, I have been told by my spiritual guides that an individual and an insurance company is going to come into the picture and this will all come out. Well, Barry Lyons could not wait. And right when the two years was up, three lawyers came to our world research demanding, demanding that we give them the microscope back. And since I didn't own it, the microscope was given back. Two months after that, Bob Maver of Mutual Benefit Life Insurance heard a radio program I had done on Bill Jenkins called Open Mind KABC Radio on a Saturday, came, and he would have, along with Mutual Benefit Life, brought that microscope out and protected it because we ended up having a long-term project with Mutual Benefit. 
Barry Lyons took the microscope. There were three different parties. They all fought taking it apart. And uh, the microscope disappeared for many years. Hmm. There's a little more to the story because I will say that although Barry Lyons has passed away, one of my close associates has ended up with it. So I am aware of where it is. Oh, it is safe, but they are not doing anything with it out of, <clears throat> out of fear of what could happen to them. Somebody's going to have to explain how a 60,000 power microscope just disappeared. Every other person who developed super microscopes won a Nobel Prize, except right. for Rife. But right. if they gave him the prize, then everyone would go, okay, and remember, we're talking two separate things. A microscope is a microscope. Right. Frequency devices are frequency devices. So yes, he developed this microscope. And what did he do with it? Oh, he saw the life frequencies of microorganisms. That would have brought us right back into the physics. And so if you read things like the Wikipedia, which I have to say, I totally hate. Mm -hmm. They will say, Rife purportedly said he built a microscope that could see certain things. Rife machines have killed people. Uh, it's all nonsense. Yeah. The microscope is real. For sure. And, it, and you, as we know, there was such a massive smear campaign against Absolutely. So, yes. And we see that with a lot of wayfarers and pioneers that could really shake up the economy. And uh, there's some story I'm just thinking of. Um, uh, I can't remember who it was, but a man whose father was this engineer and he dis discovered how to have a car run on um, water, I think it was. And they got a little visit one day and they said, you're going to stop doing this or, you know, we're, uh, you're, you're just going to disappear. And people. We have a whole library here. I mean, that's what this library is spiritual, philosophical, but there's a lot of science in here. And we caretake these exact stories you're talking about with the idea, Diane, that somebody will come along. All this knowledge is in the acacia. Somebody yeah. makes a discovery. It would seem like it disappeared, but it's there and it exists. And when people come and they're seeking, that is when we can bring them to the original sources of these things. That's right. Nothing is ever lost completely. Yes, that's the good news. That uh, is the good news. That is. You know, we talk about the Rife, and he had this microscope, but he did also have this frequency generator that he could apply Correct. to kill these viruses, cancers, bacterium, fungi, you name it. Well, there's a lot of frequency devices out, and we know a lot of them are junk and rubbish, and um, there's all, we could, I won't name any names, but there are some that I believe work because I used one, and uh, I won't say what it is on uh, here, but I'm, I'm a living, walking uh, testimonial to it. I was led to this device um, into this particular person um, who is very well adept to this work. And these people, I have been healed of cancer with this. So 
there's no microscope involved, but we have frequency. So just as a hopeful uh, edit, <laughs> maybe we don't need the microscope. We just need the frequency. And there are people walking this planet that have some sense of certain frequencies work with certain diseases. And if we apply that frequency um, in repetition, like through entrainment, right? right. That, yes. that we can start um, um, signaling to our body or our biocomputer to heal what is seemingly unhealable. See, I, I am a, a very firm believer that anything that can be done by a device or machine, yeah. you and I and all of your listeners have that same capability of generating that. Now, I, I'm going to slowly get into this next point. Before we started, I showed you Rife's original lab book. Right. There were only 60 issues that were addressed. Therefore, people are saying they're right frequencies, but that's impossible. Okay. Because this is his original lab book. Right. Um, so where are these frequencies coming from? So the reason I'm gingerly crossing into this is as a purist, as a complete purist, Rife did not develop 99.99 of those frequencies. He just didn't. This is his book of frequencies. Mm -hmm. Do frequencies work? Absolutely. Have people taken his name? Unfortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. The idea is Rife did not discover, quote, a frequency. Frequency exists. Frequency is the makeup of, of all existence. So a lot of people said, oh, I, I've got a Rife device. Do you know that I gave many presentations on Rife? I took a call from a woman in Canada. Is this Dr. Ross? Yes. Your machine is not working. My machine? What, what machine? Your Rife machine. I said, I, I've never built a Rife machine. Well, I bought a Rife machine and they had a cassette tape with it. And it was one of my presentations. And these people who never talked to me, I ended up, there were four companies taking my presentations with their Rife machines. I had to call each one of them and say, hey, you, you, can't, you can't do this. I'm not looking to get something from you. I just don't sell things. I don't push people to things. My point of this is, do these machines work? Yes, I am not saying they don't, but they are not truly developed by Rife. They are Rife-like. Mm -hmm. They follow the theory of Rife, but they are not really Rife devices. Rife died in the 1970s. Yeah. It's impossible for, he, he just didn't work on these. I am such a firm believer in color and sound and music and uh, the entire electromagnetic spectrum. So I don't want you, Diane, to get me wrong or your audience. I'm just being a purist because here's the problem. 
people in, in the 80s and 90s were doing rife. The state authorities in some states cracked down on them. And now rife is banned in those states. So even if I came up with the original frequencies and devices, it, it can't be used. It cannot be used because the Rife devices are banned. And the Wikipedia says Rife devices have killed people. So well, we can't even come out with the original anymore. And of course, I'm sure there's no proof that it's killed people. Of course, of course not. That's, oh my gosh, I was not aware of that. Well, thank yeah. you for clarifying. That's an important distinction. Um, Let's talk about color therapy. You've had a lot of experience with the spectrochrome. Is that right? Yeah. Spectrochrome? <laughs> the spectrochrome. And, and okay, frequency works. It might not be rife. We, we got that. We don't have the microscope. Okay, let's move on to color. We have <laughs> color. <laughs> and you've had a lot of experience. Uh, great success, I think. Yes. With yes. And more than 300 people, animals, <clears throat> excuse me, my own father um, checked into Kaiser Permanente in Hollywood. He had back spasms. They, they injected uh, into his spine to do a test, left my father a quadriplegic, according to Kaiser. Uh, my mother called me said, Kaiser said they're going to do quadriplegic training. Uh, can, can we do anything? Well, I went to the hospital. I talked to the head of neurosurgery, Dr. Mahomar, and I said, look, I am coming into the hospital. I'm bringing a color device, and I'm going to work on my father. Uh, what's going to happen with the electrical appliances? And I said, look, it isn't going to disturb anything. And I said, by the way, doctor, what do you do for infant liver syndrome, Billy Rubin, yellow jaundice and babies? Well, we, you put them under a blue light, doctor. Uh -huh. Do you not or they die? Uh, yes. Well, that's color therapy. So convincing him. And I said, um, you know, a Nobel Prize was won showing that every color has, has an energy. Einstein's photoelectric effect. Okay, so once we convinced him, we brought a color device into the hospital. We used it twice a day, an hour in the morning, an hour at night. And five weeks later, my father walked out of Kaiser Permanente <clears throat> and I have his original uh, medical records. So color therapy is the use of the visible light spectrum. And Dinshaw Gadiali, from India, who was a Tibetan yogi, developed a perfectly attuned 12-color system. And for 340 diseases and illnesses, he laid out the specific colors on what parts of the body. And in the 1930s, over 500 U.S. doctors were using color therapy and the spectrochrome in the United States until in 1926, the AMA said any doctor using color therapy is gonna lose their license. Wow. Just, that was just their edict. It, it's, never mind 
the, the science or how it could work. Out of all of the hundreds of techniques that we've compiled, that is my favorite. Why? There's no downside. Pythagoras started using color in 520 BC. And in all these years, Diane, you've never heard this story. Mary Jane Smith was found OD, a color projector, blazing away in her own. But what you will hear is Reader's Digest found that certain colors on walls can stimulate the IQ of students. And of course, this classic, you're an athlete as we share. Imagine that a couple of colleges in the visiting locker room painted the walls pink because there's a certain shade of pink that you lose all your strength. And they went into weightlifters and they could lift these heavy weights and then they put a, a card with the pink color and they couldn't even move it. So imagine the football team at halftime coming out in the second half going, yay, hooray, it's the second half. Color has so many effects. But when it comes to disease and illness, the book to get is Let There Be Light by Darius Dinshaw, which lays out all the colors, what parts of the body to use them on. I have worked and seen the most miraculous things. Of course, for demonstration purposes only, I would never think of treating anybody, Diane, just demonstrating how color works. Yeah, powerful. Very powerful and nice and no downside. That's the great thing. No adverse effects. Our, our medicine today is, I got good news and bad news. The good news is, is we've nuked this particular area. The bad news is some of your organs aren't gonna be working properly. <laughs> But your immune system is compromised. I like sound and music and, and color because it's all upside. And the worst that happens is nothing happens. That's right. That's right. It makes me think of uh, not, so, not too long ago, I was dealing with an allergic reaction. And so I went to the dermatologist sort of reluctantly, because it's not really my thing. I kind of know before I go that they're going to just prescribe something to me that I'm probably not even going to want to take. And I'll just go to my herbalist and like I did. And she said, oh, yeah, you must have eaten some bad food. And you got a little bacteria in your right uh, side of your intestine. Take these herbs, took the herbs. 48 hours later, the rash goes away. I'm fine. But of course, I went to my Harvard trained dermatologist lovely woman. And um, she prescribes this uh, azelic acid. Okay. Something that they give to, for people with like rosacea, with wow. sort of like breakouts or right. all kinds of things. A very common pres prescription. And of course I looked it up and looked at the side effects and you know, you could get sick, you could vomit, you could pass out, you could get diarrhea, you could get headaches, you could have, might have trouble breathing. You know, we don't know. But let's look at the ingredients. Okay. So we got some azelic acid. Okay. Oh, oh, how interesting. We have 
polyethylene glycol. Okay, antifreeze. Oh, all right. We've got some red, some colors in there that just uh, cancer causing colors. We've got all these other chemicals in there. When you break it down, they all cause side effects. They're right. all cancer causing ingredients, but don't worry about it. They're in micro amounts. So just a little bit of poison isn't really poison. So to your point, oh, the azelic acid will help band-aid over while we kind of build up your toxicity on this side. <laughs> right. And you know, some of the commercials on TV, I heard one the other day for some minor cholesterol, a rare but fatal brain disease. <laughs> oh, gosh. A rare but fatal, of course, means fatal. So... The, the cholesterol—it's—it's it's really what we've sunk to. Which again, we started off talking about trust. Yes. People need to trust their innate sense. Some of these things just may not be right for the person, and if you feel it isn't, if you're hesitant, trust your hesitancy. Trust your your innate wisdom that, gosh, this, this just doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, we're getting bombarded. You know, when I was growing up, it was all cigarette commercials all the time. Now it's all pharmaceutical with people with butterflies and singing and happy while across the screen, it's telling you it can blow out your circuitry. Um, I'm not telling people what to do. I am telling people to trust themselves. Look at your own inner guidance. Ask your dreamer. Go to bed at night and go, can I get some information regarding, is this good for me? Let's try that. If we don't have a life-threatening. Now, if somebody has a tumor blocking something vital, of course you want to do what you need to. But here's what, what I, the analogy. If a fly lands on a table, I can use a big wrecking ball that knocks down building. I'm going to get the fly, but I'm going to destroy the table. Or I can use a baseball bat. Maybe I'll get the fly and I'm going to chip the table. Or I can use a fly swatter. Let's start with the least intrusive first and work our way up. Rather than when I go to parties and someone says, oh, I hear you're in the health field. A woman asks, should I have taken my breasts off? <laughs> it's done. It's, she took them off because there was cancer in her family. She didn't have it. But she was scared so fast and so quickly. Boom, you just do it. Take some breaths when you hear something. Yes. Get a couple of opinions. And then how do you feel? Yes. That's great, great advice. And I'm so glad you brought that up. It circles back to, as you were saying, the trust and the innate. Well, we can simply remind ourselves that what is the opposite of trust is you being marinating in your own fear. So then I think of, well, before you go to bed at night, as you said, Ask spirit, ask your guides. If you don't think you have a guide, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You do. Just right. attend as an experiment that right. you have a mock it up, as we say, mock up 
your guide uh, and uh, and just ask the question. In spiritual psychology, we have a process, it's very simple, but very, very powerful if you put it into motion and do it, which is called bedtime intentions. And you set very clear, succinct, heart-centered bedtime intentions before you go to bed because you're gonna be marinating in that for the next seven, eight hours. So, hey, here's an idea. Um, maybe don't go on the news before you go to bed. Don't go uh, look at your phone. Don't even go on social media unless right. it's something that's going to give you some positive input because you will be marinating in that for as the, for the next. Oh, I love I love that term yeah. marinating. You're right. Right. It's beautiful. So, yeah, marinating. What are we seasoning our consciousness with fear <laughs> or really the opening the doors to more of this trust that is is really our our um our gauge to receive this higher wisdom that and that would be if if your listeners come away with anything from our sharing together i i hope it's this idea of trusting and that nobody ultimately can be any wiser or have any more access than each one of us does. We have a conduit directly to the source. We, we need to really trust ourselves more um, and understand that that perhaps is part of the life lessons we're here to experience. I believe we're here to experience how we manage creative energy, which means you don't have to be just an artist or a poet, do you create flowers when you walk your path or do you create swells? How are you using creative energy? And the second part would be, we are already God. We, we are an aspect of the deity. We, we have it. Nobody gives it to you. There's another yogic analogy that people come into a living and they have a light with many sheets or blankets. And as you and I go through our life and we have experiences, you and I might be together and we see or experience something. And it is so dramatic for me. I may remove four sheets or blankets. You may remove two. You may remove five. And as we go over after numerous livings, eventually it's so thin, the blankets, that we see our spiritual light. Nobody gives us the spiritual light. We are that light. And so the experiences help us see that by the experiences that we have. That is why I believe that we're down here. Um, there is no right or wrong. Each direction is going to have you remove so many sheets and blankets. So maybe it may seem horrendous on the surface, but what if that helps you remove eight blankets, Diane? Right. That may bring you even closer. Nobody gives us the light. We are light. We are the light. Mm -hmm. Beautifully put. It, it makes me touch upon this idea that we both pull from a lot of very ancient sources, yogic sources, um, 
the ancient technologies from many of these ancient civilizations. Yes. And even those that we might or some may consider to be myth, like the Lemurian civilizations or even the Essenes right. or you name it. Um, and I'd love for you to go into perhaps some of the greatest alchemists that you find hold many of the keys that are time tested. They're still applicable today, meaning they'll be just as relevant a hundred thousand years from now, as they were five thousand or two thousand or a thousand years ago. Right, and and thank you so much for that lead-in. My favorite is Paracelsus, who was perhaps the greatest of all the alchemists. He he was born, I believe, fourteen ninety three. He lived in the early fifteen hundreds. Um, he talked about the elementals. He was one of the greatest observers of science and medicine of all time. He is championed as the person who really took us from the Middle Ages into scientific investigation. Everything about him, uh, his discoveries were, were so profound. Um, one of the best was uh, when he was young, there was a pond near his home. During the winter, it would freeze and the fish would, would be buried deep. During the summer, it would heat where it was almost boiling. And he reasoned or he wondered, the earth is the same, the sun is the same. Why would this be changing? And then he realized it is based on relationships. During the, these times of the year, the sun is at a different angle to the earth. The substance of the sun didn't change. The substance of the earth didn't change. So what fosters change? Relationships. And how do we apply this? We can apply that, that a couple are together and they just don't get along. They separate, they divorce, they go with others. And maybe it works out wonderfully. They may not have changed, but the relationship of one thing to another. So you always want to look at whatever you're confronted with, whatever is happening, understand that there is a relationship going on between you and that situation, you and that event, you and that person. He had so many instances like this. He, in his town, an individual locked himself up in their cabin, boarded all the windows, the, the doors, everything was sealed. Well, after six days, the townspeople were worried and they broke in and they found the individual dead. Well, in the 1510, they couldn't figure out why, but Paracelsus figured out there was something to do with the air and the environment. And what do his writings talk about? Anytime you stagnate, anytime you close yourself off, whether it is religious, political, or whatever, and you stop the free flow of energy, of oxygen, what happens? The system dies out. It atrophies and it dies, which is why it is always best to have open windows, an influx, windows of the mind, not just the house. You stagnate and 
there is a withering and a dying. This alchemist was one of the few that could really turn base metals into gold, even though that is a philosophy that protected people from the Catholic Church at the time. Um, as above, so below, he could do it. His writings are masterful. I spend whole lectures on his discoveries. He said, no, let no one belong to another who can be their own self. Don't give away your power to anybody else. This he wrote back in the 1500s. Mm -hmm. So um, there are great people, Pythagoras using color and sound back in 500 BC, telling his disciples, we will find the keynote the music of the spheres. We will find your keynote. So upon arising before that little voice starts getting to you, like our little voice we still have 2,500 years later, you play the music upon arising and that little voice is negated. He played music to his disciples upon going to bed to set the tone for that dream state and make, getting the conduit clear. We've had beautiful teachers throughout time. It isn't about who has the fast cars or computers that makes a society great. Some of those ancients had more understanding of nature than you and I will ever read in, in, in thousands of books today. They had a resonance. Yeah. We have lost that resonance. That's a very good point because I think that's hopefully what where we're moving to that's what's going to save this planet right. is coming into this resonance into res, coming into this resonance coming into this communion this community like yeah. the ancients did like the indigenous did and do and the Essenes the Essenes okay. believe in nature and the angelic spirits that's right affiliated with with the nature and the seasons um yeah they didn't have computers so do we write them off? They were beautiful. There's beautiful people throughout history, men and women, who have kept the golden chain of philosophy alive. It is something that is known throughout time. There were certain individuals who restate the ancient teachings without attaching their barnacles to it. Um, saying, here's the age of teaching, but, but you shouldn't listen to rock and roll music. You, you shouldn't wear makeup. You shouldn't know. They have laid out those teachings. So any seeker can really find the unadulterated truth if you will but take the time and your intent is there, you will find it. In fact, it will come to you. Yeah. I think if there is really a true teaching to be had, it's not going to come with a contradiction, which is going to be one that disempowers you, like you said. So you can't have two contradicting intentions. It's either going to empower you back to the source, or it's going to put you into a state of, no, you better not go that way because, hey, right. you could, good versus evil, this might, we don't want to, let's, let's dim your light a little bit with some. And I don't know how much time we have left, but I would like to share a dream and a philosophy with your listeners before we go. Absolutely. 
right before um, a lecture that I was giving in our local area here, I had the following dream. I was walking around along the ocean and with me were all the truth seekers in the world. And in front of me and in front of us was a woman dressed in blue holding a microphone and there was fog and pollution almost obliterating her. And as we came up to her, I noticed it was the goddess Sophia, the goddess of wisdom. And to my right or her left were horseshoe stands with the self-help people, a lot of them, the gurus, the teachers, the people with courses. And I sat there and I wondered if these people in their well-meaningness are obliterating the truth, what, what are a seeker supposed to do? And a massive wind blew off the ocean and I heard the voice say, all that is needed for enlightenment is a beautiful heart, an open mind and a humble spirit. You don't need the books, you don't need the courses, you don't need the systems. And it was Paracelsus who said, if you wanna learn the essence of any herb or plant or tree, hit, sit humbly before it, open, and it will reveal to you, just like if you do the same thing with people. So the beautiful heart and open mind and a humble spirit. I didn't say these people are wrong that were in the stands. What I'm saying is, it is their truths. It is their beliefs. It is their courses for whatever reason. Some are well-meaning, some are in it for the money. All you need is a beautiful heart, an open mind, and a humble spirit. Thank you for that, Steve. And that is a breath of fresh air, I hope, for many people that are listening to this and say, well, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know what book to pick up. I don't have a degree. Right. I've never done yoga. I've never been to India. I hear about Sedona, but I can't afford to go to Sedona right now. You know, all these reasons why we shut ourselves off from that infinite library of wisdom that's inside of us and available to us. And we're all connected to the Akasha. We're all connected to this infinite wisdom. Yes. And uh, what you're sharing to me is the definition or the recipe, if you will, for resonance. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time and coming into this wonderful resonance with me over the past hour or so. And I'm so grateful for everything you've shared and more. Diane, thank you. And I, I mean this with all sincerity. Um, I appreciate that, that you reached out, that you have given me this opportunity uh, to share and to, to learn more about each other. Um, I, I do appreciate that, that you allowed, and I've done many interviews. Um, I love your openness and how we were able to flow during this time. I think that that's very important for sharing. So um, again, I thank you. 
Yeah, of course. Of course. It's my pleasure. Before you go real quick, where can people find more about you, your videos, your talks, any information you want to share? Uh, my YouTube channel is less complicated. It is one word, less complicated with Dr. Stephen A. Ross. I have about 80 videos there. Um, my foundation that I co-founded with my co-founder Laverne is World Research Foundation, WRF.org. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I post quite a bit on there about ancient teachings. Um, those would be the areas. And again, uh, it's not about um, pushing a system. I don't do that. The videos are intended like our sharing today to empower people. So that would be the, the best manners that people can, can hear how I'm giving back. I have had the all time, I have a magical life. I have had such bounties and love and spiritual guidance. This is my way uh, of giving, giving back uh, because of the blessings I've received. Mm, beautiful. Thank you, Steve. And so much love and light to you. Thank you. Have a, have a beautiful, I'm not going to say what time of day it is because this can appear in, but your pathway may be lit up with love, in love, and through love. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.